Welcome to Orchestrated Relationships, a podcast studying relational value. I'm David Homan, your host. Years ago, I formed a community of people called Connectors, people who have an innate ability to build and maintain authentic relationships across their personal and professional lives, and who thrive on making connections. The community was formed out of a need to develop a system and a methodology to help relational value be valued. And the most effective way I've found so far is to champion someone else, which is why I have in front of me Jenny Santi. Welcome, Jenny. Hey, thanks, David. Thanks for being here today. Now, Jenny is a philanthropic advisor to some of the world's most generous philanthropists and celebrity activists. She's the author of the acclaimed book, The Giving Way to Happiness, Stories and Science Behind the Life-Changing Power of Giving. But you're not just here to talk about giving today, Jenny. Why don't you tell me a little bit about one of the projects you're focused on and the impact it could have on the world? Sure. When people talk about my work, my fear sometimes is that they think it's not relatable because I work with very wealthy people, the 1%, maybe even the 1% of the 1%. So I think today I'd like to talk about something I do in my own time, in my own capacity. I am not a billionaire by any means, not even close but I just like to talk about my volunteer work. Great, well, I mean, volunteer work's just as important. I found that everyone I've met, whatever percent of status they are in the world, what they basically are is a human being that has certain passions. And when you can find commonality in those passions, whether it is around animals, for instance, that is something that can create a shared bond regardless of status. Absolutely, and animals, that's exactly what I'm passionate about, in fact, I have dog hairs on my sweater right now. <laughs> and I I wanna talk about the volunteer work I do, which to be honest, it took me quite a while to get started because if you are helping animals or if you love animals so much, I think an animal lover can relate with what I'm about to say. It's It's very painful to see them in distress. And when you volunteer in animal rescue or animal welfare, you tend to expose yourself to those situations where um, there's a, a sick or homeless animal, a, a dog that needs to be rehabilitated. Uh, it's it's not the cute puppy that you see in the dog commercials, not necessarily, you know, not the fluffy golden retriever that looks like uh, a mascot. So the animals most in need don't get cast in those commercials? Not necessarily. I mean, eventually they can they can be like that. They, they, they really do have so much resilience in them. But for, for instance, when I first volunteered at a dog adoption event, I was crying all over the place. I, I, I just couldn't help it because I felt this is so sad. I feel so sorry for these dogs. I, I, I felt so helpless. I felt like this is just, um, it, it's just so heart-wrenching to see what's happening here. So what um, type of action do you take? And well, where do you see the world being able to step in and pay more attention to these millions and millions of animals that need assistance? You know, the way I fell into this is that I, I always knew and also I've written about this, that when, when we give of ourselves, whether we give our time, our talents, our treasures to, to something, it should be something that we feel passionately connected to. Uh, it should be something that we really care about because 
it will get hard no matter what. It it will be. Um, I mean, for some people, it will it will cost a lot of money. For some people, it will cost a lot of their time. Uh, for people like me, it's just a very emotional process. But you know, when you overcome those challenges, those initial roadblocks, it be- can become really fulfilling. And what I have found too is that I have I now have this amazing community of people who care about the same things that I do, who help me do the work that I do, who help me see the good of what's, you know, what was being done for these dogs and really makes me enjoy the whole process. So I've just fostered a dog um, last week and her name is Tony. She's been renamed Augie and she's found her forever home and and I'm I'm just so glad to be part of these stories where sure it started out very sad she was rescued from the streets in Puerto Rico she was run over by a car she lost um some function in her legs but she's totally fine now and and maybe she's just one of thousands of others and then the, the thousands of others cannot be rescued but but if I focus on these stories of hope and and when i focus on these people who who are so kind to animals and share my love for animals i feel like you know what such a beautiful it's really such a beautiful feeling and 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 i know i'm talking all about animals but i firmly believe that every single one of us has something that we are so passionate about that we will fight for we would fight for that no matter how hard it gets. The same way I would fight for an animal no matter how hard it gets. Uh, what is it for you, for example, David? What What is it that you would fight for? My children. And more than my children, for everyone around me that I believe can do more in this world than what they've been given. There and for more go. than the opportunities that they have so far. That's for me why relational value is such an incredible thing that is wasted. There are so many people that know an incredible amount of people and people like you who spend time making concentrated, useful introductions. And often that is completely devalued. It's taken for granted. Or people want you because of the people you know, but not you yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a lot of what drives me. So for people that were interested in getting more involved or talking with you about specifically um, the beauty of helping animals, where would they turn? What would be the best resources to look at first? Well, this is going to sound like a plug, but there, I've written a lot about this whole process of giving in my book called The Giving Way to Happiness. And what really intrigued me is, of course, I, I, I love seeing what impact philanthropy or, or volunteerism or giving or donating time, money, has on a particular cost, whether it's the environment, whether it's animal rescue, whether it's um, healthcare, children, and so on and so forth. It's so good to see what impact we have on the world. But what I've really delved into in this book is what giving does to change the life of the giver because I've seen that time and time again through the work I've done. And I can tell you very quickly, the five overall ways that I see giving changes the life of the giver. Great, we're and all ears. This yes. is a podcast, so that's so all we have. Super fast. So keep going. So one is 
giving gives people a sense of purpose. The second thing is that giving helps us find fulfillment in our work. So it elevates your career into not just a job, but a calling if you have work that makes a difference. And aren't we all looking for that? Isn't that something that people go on and on about? Like they want more fulfillment out of their work. And the third thing is that amazingly, giving helps us heal from traumatic experiences uh, that we may have gone through, such as the loss of a loved one or, or maybe some something painful we've been through in the past, like maybe a story of abuse, a story of neglect, a story of heartbreak. And, and when we are able to help someone or help a group of people who are going through or may go through the same thing that we have gone through, then in a way we, we come full circle from what we've been through and then we feel stronger in the process and we, we become so valuable to these people in the process. Um, the, the fourth thing is that giving leads us to, to have much stronger relationships. And this is what we're talking about, right? Like we connect over something that's beyond ourselves. We don't connect. I mean, it's, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with connecting over a common hobby. Like we both love, I don't know, airplanes or we both love snowboarding or whatever it is, right? But, but don't you find that it's so different when you connect with someone because you care about a common cause? Haven't Absolutely. you found that in your own experience? It's amazing. And I've seen people become really close friends. Some people even fall in love romantically. And, and it's just such a beautiful feeling. Um, there, there's no pretensions there. It's, it's, just, it's just really, really nice. And then finally, the, the, the fifth one is that giving gives people a sense of significance beyond material success. Uh, in fact, a quick anecdote I want to share is that you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy, the, the five uh, needs. And, and for most of us, well, what do you recall as the, the final step in the hierarchy, the highest self-actualization, right? Remember that? Uh, when you achieve your your goals. Um, what's little known, and I only discovered this because I was doing a lot of research when I was working my book, is that Maslow actually changed his final analysis. And in his, in his, renew, in his um, revised analysis, he said that it's not self-actualization that's the last step. It's actually self-transcendence, which is when we invoke the needs of others before ourselves. That's and that beautiful. is the highest need of man. And the only reason why we don't hear more about this is that he died before he was able to publish this. I love that. The idea of self-transcendence being the highest value and what one works to achieve. So when we first met, we bonded over the fact that we both love art that is beautiful. Mm -hmm. But I didn't necessarily tell you after I learned that you were an animal and dog lover that my dad gave us three choices of a dog name as a kid. He's a mm -hmm. famous Shakespearean scholar, so he could only name our dog Beckett, Shepherd, or Pinter. Actually, sorry, Stoppard or Pinter. My mom said, there's no way I'm yelling stop Stoppard to a dog. <laughs> Pinter sounded way too pretentious for a dog. <laughs> and so I grew up with a dog named after Samuel Beckett. Wow. And we would say come and we would say go. And my brother and I would not get the joke until years later when we read the plays. 
so I have, do not get. I have to read the place myself. One day, New York is full of this. <laughs> so in the park, perhaps. I want to shift a little bit to understanding how you work when you meet people and build authentic relationships. Um, I am somebody who everyone thinks is an extrovert, but I am actually not. I thrive on intimate connections with people, and I love being in rooms where I really know the room understands and values me. But I'm not necessarily always comfortable at any event or party just being there in every conversation or with everyone. So would you describe yourself as somebody who is comfortable in every room, or do you really need to find the right environment? No, I'm exactly like you. In fact, have you heard of this um, condition called selective mutism? I have not. You're educating me a lot today, so keep going. (laughs) I, I just read about this in the New York Times sometime a year or two ago, and when I read it, I thought, wow, that is exactly me. So selective mutism is a condition where you become unable to speak, but it's not because of any anything physically wrong with you or, or medically wrong or structurally wrong with your, your tongue, your throat, your mouth, nothing. But it's more of a social uh, kind of discomfort that causes you to just completely lose your ability to speak. And... I'm not like that anymore, but I was definitely like that when I was a child. And and it went on for years and years. Uh, but now it baffles me how people think I'm a total extrovert. And I often get described as, oh, Jenny, wow, she knows everybody. Or, oh, oh, she's incredibly well connected. So, so. Well, I, I think mean, I know exactly why it changed. Why? Self-transcendence. <laughs> well, I think I think it was it was a, a, a feeling I had that I knew I wanted to say something. I knew I had something to say, but I was just so afraid, too shy to to to, to come forward. So I forced myself out of it through several several um, drastic measures, such as enrolling in theater class. But that's not the point. The point is that um, just because you are an introvert doesn't mean that you can't be well-connected or extremely well-connected. I think um, it it might actually help because when you make these connections, for example, when I go to a conference or when I go to a party, like when we first met, you know, I didn't talk to anyone in that event. I, I think I spoke to our host, Kunal, and, and another friend I saw whom I already knew from the past. And then my mantra is that if I go to a party, a conference, an event, and I meet one person that I think I'll stay in touch with, let's say even there are 30, 30 people, 100 people in that room, doesn't matter. If I feel like, oh, you know what? I met one person, I think I'll stay in touch with this person. I think we made a genuine connection. I'll go home or I'll, I'll feel like it wasn't a waste of my time. I, I wouldn't really feel the need to work the entire room and collect cards and, and be a total networker. It's just not my style, but, but somehow it's worked out because I actually stay in touch. I actually remember these people. They actually remember me too because 
because I think they knew that it was a sincere connection. Yeah. It wasn't superficial. It wasn't something of the <laughs> moment or to pass the time or to wait for a drink. Yeah. At the bar. And, I mean, and my I, goal always yeah. is three. Mm. Um, I try to aim for three authentic connections where I not only go in and connect with the person, but find at least one tangible way to help them. It, and that's the, the best way I've ever found to both build the connection and then maintain that dialogue. There was something that I, I'm still not 100% convinced about this, but when I was um, working on my book, actually there's this writer who was extremely helpful to me and, and he's quite well known now. His, his name is Adam Grant who wrote mm -hmm. Give and Take. And I remember, well, he helped me tremendously he helped me get published, helped me find the book agent, all those things. Uh, but I remember having an exchange with him where I said that, um, you know, whenever whenever I approach someone, I always try to think, what can I give them in return? Because mm -hmm. um, I don't want to just go there or write them with a big ask of their time uh, or their advice without offering anything in exchange. And he emailed me back saying something like, uh, no, people are sometimes very happy just to help. So what do you think of that? I, I'd like to believe him. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm still not very comfortable approaching someone without necessarily having figured out a way to help them. So I believe that most people aren't aware of what they actually need, and often what they ask for is not necessarily what they need to move something forward. Can you give me an example of that? Without embarrassing any of my friends, sure. Um, so I met a woman the other day who was absolutely convinced that she needed to quit her job and become a different type of executive coach. Uh -huh. And the more and more that she told me about why she wanted to quit, the more and more I said, well, why do you want to quit something as opposed to build something? And then she admitted she was afraid of what she actually wanted to build because she didn't know how to build it. So I simply said to her, would you like to meet people that have built something like you're doing? And she was over the moon. I made a couple intros and now she's sitting with people that have gone through her journey that can share and see in her value and they want to give because what they learned as mistakes through their journey, they didn't want anyone else to also have to go through. Mm. That's a great example. Well, for me, I, I, just, I just feel like some people get asked so much that you have to have some kind of value proposition for them all the time. I'm still trying to wrap my head around the idea as Adam Grant says, that some people just genuinely want to help and expect nothing in return. Now, I believe that, but I also believe that you have to be able to be a great judge of character for when some people say that and they actually want something in return. But people who approach this like you, who look at relationship currency, so to speak, as something where you want to be respectful of somebody's time, of their energy, of what they would give to you, and at least make it reciprocal, if not more, for me, I found those type of people are the ones that will help a thousand times over, even if they don't necessarily want me to keep helping them, because that type of person, that type of integrity is pretty rare in terms of somebody that is able to look beyond themselves in order to give. That's so I wanna, a good way to think about it. Thank you. Um, I want to just end with one of my favorite quotes 
and then get an idea of one of yours. Because I believe that there's certain words that we live by that really define us. And I was thinking about this in how you were talking about your childhood and for years about where you were not necessarily out of your shell yet to speak the way that you can now about your values and what you do. So mine comes from an alternate verse uh, from the musical Pippin. And one of the things I always think is, and I'm not going to sing it because I am not a vocalist, although I am a pianist. <laughs> it goes, and maybe some misty day you'll waken to find me gone, and far away you'll hear me singing at the dawn. For me, what that always means is there's a lot of people that have taken advantage of me and what I've done, what I've achieved, and used me to fulfill or f be better for themselves than to help me in that journey. And I always think about those opportunities where I will then position myself to go, well, you had your chance to show me that you wanted to play fair, have integrity, and have value. And now here's where I am, and I'm singing to the dawn. Good luck with where, with where you are at this moment because you decided to take things from people. You decided to marginalize people. You decided to put yourself above others. And that's not the type of people that I like to associate with. So I always think of this as just at some point moving on from the people that are around me into those that I thrive around. I love that. So tell me about yours. Well, I've got two here. I actually included this in, in my book and in between the chapters, I had these little quotes because I, I did a lot of research and, and just found these really beautiful and fitting. So I'd like to share them with you. And one is by Buddha, of course. If you light a lamp for someone else, it will also brighten your path. And then there's another one along the same lines, which is an Italian proverb that goes like this. A candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. Those are both beautiful. Well, I have also one of my own, which is a lot more superficial level, which is that packing light is way overrated. I like that a lot. <laughs> I once threw up my back with somebody who had the opposite mentality. And we went on a tour together and her suitcase was so heavy that I was not able to, to lift it up. No way. I told you packing light is overrated. I pack heavy all the time. No, I get that. Yeah. I'm saying like, you you might have been one of those people that oh, yes, throw up my yes, back yes, but being you know shovelless on a plane. You would have ended up borrowing a lot of my stuff on but that trip. <laughs> you might be somebody that dresses by mood and have a lot of moods. I like to have choices. Beautiful. Well, listen, <laughs> I'm so glad you could join us here today for Orchestrated Relationships. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, David. It was my pleasure. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my podcast and stay tuned for more. We'll close this podcast with an excerpt from my work, Ori, Movement 3, for four amplified cellos.
Thank you for listening to Orchestrated Relationships, recorded proudly at Smash Studios, edited by Stephen Bartlett. Stay tuned for our next episode.